coming up on the 23rd episode of the girlsplayfooty.com podcast for 2017. We catch up with AFL golf fields coach Jeff Whitaker, USAFL media manager Brian Barish, plus our state leagues wrap with Lauren Hodgson, Matthew Cox and Alison Schiller. All that coming up on the girlsplayfooty.com podcast. I'm Peter Holden and welcome to the 23rd edition of the girlsplayfooty.com podcast for 2017, our third season on the year. And a quick reminder, you can listen to this podcast as a radio program Wednesday evenings about quarter past six Australian Eastern Standard Time on RSN Carnival. That's digital radio in Melbourne or by downloading to your mobile phone the RSN Racing and Sport app, then click on Carnival. And don't forget our two matches of the round this week in the Swiss Wilders VFR Women's Competition that you'll hear on RSN Carnival, both going to air at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. On Saturday, we bring you the clash between first and second, Diamond Creek hosting Melbourne Uni at Plenty War Memorial Park in Plenty. And on Sunday, third versus sixth, the VU Western Spurs hosting the Eastern Devils at VU Witten Oval in Footscray. Join us 1 o'clock on Saturday and Sunday afternoon right here on RSN Carnival or the RSN Racing and Sport app, which you can get for free from either the Apple App Store or, of course, Google Play. Time for our first interview. Interleague football has arrived for the first time in the AFL Goldfields competition and the VAFA women's as they go head-to-head at Mars Stadium in Ballarat on Sunday. And I've got joining us on the line the coach of the AFL Goldfields senior women's team in Jeff Whitaker. Jeff, thanks for joining us here at Girls Play Footy. How are you? Yeah, good. Thank you, Peter. Are you feeling a little nervous heading into the first ever AFL Goldfield Senior Women's Interleague match? Oh, a little bit, mate, I suppose, but probably a little bit more excitement than anything. Uh, I know the girls have been really excited to uh, represent the league for the first time ever we've been able to do this. So uh, just with training, and um, they've been very very uh, positive and uh, very excited. And uh, when we made some phone calls the other night to tell the girls they were in, uh, they are nearly jumping through the phone. So I think everyone's just more excited and maybe nervous. Probably be nervous on the day, though. So just to give everyone an idea and a little bit of background on yourself, what was your involvement in footy? Uh, I was a player, but not at a, not at a high level. And then uh, went into coaching, uh, did a bit of uh, V-line cup coaching and, and a lot of club football. Had a stint with uh, the Vic Country Girls for three years from 2015 to, sorry, 2013 to 15. I've been the head coach of the the Rebels, uh, well, Greater Western Victorian Rebels. They are now TSC Cup team for the last five years, and I was lucky enough to get a, a gig with the Western Bulldogs women in 2015 for the um, exhibition games at the MCG and Eddie had. So, yeah, I've been fairly lucky with the coaching and then had some really great experiences. As you said, you've been involved with the V-Line Cup girls, TAC Cup girls, and you said the Western Bulldogs. How have you seen the progression and transition of women's football in country areas, particularly the professionalism and how that's developed? Uh, yeah, look, when I, when I probably first started with the the, uh, the Rebels back in 2013, I think it was, um, probably had about six or eight girls turn up to training. And uh, last year I had uh, to pick uh, 40 girls from squad of 90 so you can just see how far it's progressed in those few years just the interest and uh, the talent that's coming through as well What kind of work has gone into getting the initial squad that you first had before cutting back the numbers for this interleague team that we're taking on the VAFA this weekend? Uh, Originally uh, there was invites sent out to the uh, clubs and got the coaches to nominate uh, the players they thought would be up to playing in this standard 
Uh, also, I've been around watching some games, as, as the other coaches have as well. Um, obviously, looking at results and speaking to coaches and um, and just watching training. And we've gone from a squad of about 40 down to 24 for this weekend. And what has been the theory about selecting this squad? Has it been to pick the best possible 20-odd players that you believe are available in the Goldfields competition? Or you're also maybe looking at more of a development type at a certain age about those that, should they be given this opportunity, they may want to go on and play a higher standard of football? Oh, look, I think we've tried to pick uh, a very competitive side because we've only got, uh, I think, 11 teams up here to pick from. I know the VAF have got about 40, so we've got a lot more girls to pick from than what we have. So we've tried to put a very competitive side on the park. And but on saying that, we've had every club represented as well. In, in it. We've actually got 24 and 4 emergency, so every club has a representative in that 28. How much do you know about your opposition? As you said, there's more than 40-odd teams in the VAFA. Have you managed to uh, find a little intel on who you'll be up against? Uh, I've got one person in Melbourne that's able to give me a bit of a heads-up, but really not, not a lot, and I think that's probably the exciting part of it too on the weekend, that we're, you know, they might know much about us and we don't know much about them, but we'll, we'll go out and have a real crack and uh, see what happens come midday on Sunday. I guess that's the exciting thing is for you as a coach, you're essentially planning on the fly, having to adjust to, to, for whatever's thrown at you. Uh, exactly, and uh, we have six on the bench, so it'll be pretty uh, pretty hectic with the bench trying to get everybody uh, fair run because I think that's really important as well. That the, you know, no one wants to uh, sit, sit on the bench for the whole day and not experience being out on on Eureka Stadium or Mars Stadium as they call it now. So um, yeah, look, we'll, we'll be we'll be doing our best to give everybody fair run and uh, hopefully get the result we want. As you said, all the players in the squad were nominated by the various clubs throughout the AFL Goldfields competition. How much Goldfields footy have you had the opportunity to watch over the past uh, uh, month and a half of this brand new competition? Uh, probably been out to probably last month. I've been out to games, and I've also been able to organise my uh, assistant coaches to to go out and have a look. And uh, one of my assistant coaches is actually the coach of the Geelong North side, who are uh, quite a, a strong side in the competition, and uh, so they're, they're they're watching games every week as well. And since you mentioned coaches, who will be joining you on the coaching panel this weekend? I uh, have uh, Alicia McLean and Shannon Knox from the Geelong North Footy Club, or North Geelong, should I say, and uh, Shane Derrick, who assists me here with the um, Rep- GWS, or G- Greater West Victorian Rebels as well. He's an assistant coach to me here, so he's helped me as well. And what's the philosophy for the style of play that you want your team to showcase on Sunday? Are you looking to, to lock it down, a tough uh, a, a tackling type of football, or are you looking to spread the game open and looking for more run and carry? Oh, it's a fairly big ground there at, at, at Mars, so uh, Mars or Eureka, and I think you know the quicker we can move the ball, the better, and uh, I think that's more of a spectacle for, for people watching too with uh, the game's free-flowing, so that'll be, uh, that'll be our aim, I think, to get the ball moving quickly and uh, entertain the people there watching. And not to make the uh, girls nervous, of course, uh, but do you know of any uh, recruiters, per se, that might be just hanging around Mars Stadium on Sunday just to see what talent is available out there? No, I haven't heard of any, but to be honest, I'd be disappointed if there, if there wasn't some there watching because I think this is an ideal chance for uh, recruiters from the, the VFL and AFL Women's League to come out and have a look because uh, no doubt there might be uh, you know, some players up there that I'll identify and give them a chance to play at that higher level. Now, as you said, you've uh, made the phone call to the girls that will be uh, playing uh, this weekend. Have you had the uh, chance yet to notify who will be captain? 
Yeah, I did that on uh, Monday night and uh, again, very excited and we've also picked uh, three girls to be part of the leadership group on Saturday, on Sunday as well. So they're all very excited and uh, keen to come on board in those roles. And just on that, on reflection, as you said, you know, you're, you're excited for this Sunday, but how do you feel? Because it, there can only ever be a first once that you will be the first ever interleague coach of an AFL Goldfields women's team. Yeah, it's a bit nervous, but I suppose I was uh, the first ever coach this year of the uh, Greater Western Victorian Rebels team when they played in the first ever TAC Cup. So, uh, yeah, I had a couple of sleepless nights before that. And at the moment, I'm feeling good, but come, come close to the game day, I might be a bit more nervous than I am now. Well, Jeff, thank you very much for joining us here on uh, Girls Play Footy, and we wish you all the very best for this Sunday at Mars Stadium as you host the VAFA Women's in the first ever interleague match between the VAFA and AFL Goldfields. Thank you. Thanks for your time. Now it's time to head over to the US, where this weekend the US AFL have their Western Regional Tournament. And I've got on the line the media manager of the United States Australian Football League and Brian Barish. Brian, thank you very much for joining us. Just quickly before we look at the Western Region Tournament, we, of course, caught up with you a couple of weeks ago to preview the Eastern Regional Tournament. Now, how did that pan out? It found out really well. It was a very, very competitive game down in Raleigh, North Carolina. Uh, we had the New York Lady Magpies, along with players from the Boston Lady Demons and the Philadelphia Hawks, uh, taking on Columbus Jillaroo's outfit that was peppered with players from the Baltimore-Washington Lady Eagles. Uh, the support teams, as it were, were actually pretty well represented. There was four players from Boston, four from Philadelphia, and a half dozen from Baltimore-Washington as great to see some of these developing clubs really start to bring up numbers, especially considering the fact that some of them traveled a bit. Uh, the Magpies ran out 13-point winners, New York 5-13-43 over Columbus 4-6-30. Uh, much like last year's game in New York, this was a, a very competitive game. It, it didn't seem like that after the first quarter. The the Lady Magpies were up 28-1. to A couple of goals by Kim Hemingway uh, were there the pace it. But in the second quarter, the Jill Roos got back into the game. Alex Pike with a couple of goals. Katrina Scherer had one of her two goals on the day. It was back to a seven-point game at halftime. I was very impressed with a number of players who are going over to Melbourne, not to compete in the International Cup, but to play as part of the USA Liberty Development Tour. Uh, one of them, Molly Halberstadt from the Baltimore-Washington Eagles, who's really developing into a good a rover type player she had a good number of touches and then from the philadelphia hawks on the other side with the magpies uh, amy arendelle who is a former soccer player originally from uh, anchorage alaska uh, she got probably about 20 disposals as well in the middle and i think she was as key to the success as the the magpie mainstays you talk about uh, Dre casillas who had a, who had a pretty good game and then uh, hemingway who got really back into her groove as sort of a playmaker in the middle so 43-30 to 30 was the final score. Goal kickers for New York were Hemingway, who had two, Warren Skinechny, Claire Algazin, and Natalie Wolf, and then uh, Pike and Shearer for the Jillaroos. Western Regional Tournament is, of course, going to see a lot more games with the, the USAFL women's being very strong out that way. Um, as we said, four teams, two of them, though, being combines. 
Uh, yeah, so it's it's actually really good to see. We've got the San Francisco Iron Maidens and Denver Lady Bulldogs, of course, uh, two teams who have combined for the last seven uh, Division One Women's National Championships. And then we've got two combination sides. And I think that in the context of this tournament, Peter, that's going to really throw this uh, weekend wide open. We have the Sacramento Lady Suns combining with the Seattle Grizzlies and oddly enough considering the fact that the Suns have been in Division 1 for the last two seasons since they've gone to the split divisional format where Division 1 teams have usually been the ones that have brought enough to field entire sides uh, the Grizzlies will actually have more of the uh, woman power if you will uh, and that actually is from what I've heard this season and from what I've seen this year, the Grizzlies are starting to put together a really solid team. Um, April Lewis and Marion Dickinson are the co-captains and Dickinson has, I think she's up to 12 goals through four games so far for three games so far in USAFL play. And she's also doing well in the matches against the Canadian teams as well. Uh, Chung Yi Sang, who is a USAFL veteran, uh, plays well on the defensive side. And Valerie Barber Axelm, who normally plays as a defender, uh, she'll probably you'll see her just about anywhere on the field where they need some extra pressure on the ball. And then the players at Sacramento are bringing uh, a number of them are heading over for uh, for not only for the Freedom, but also for the Liberty team as well. Rosemary Clo, who will most likely play in the rock for this side. Liz Danielson, who's a defensive player. And then uh, Oan Wynn will probably play up in the forward line. She's a Liberty player as well. Uh, Lurie Quoka, who uh, also is a defensive player. So the, the Suns are bringing a lot of really good defensive players and paired with the Grizzlies' offensive players. They'll be a fun team to watch. And, of course, the other one, which is the All-Stars combination, if I'm right, you're throwing in players from the Portland Sock guys, the LA Dragons, Minnesota Freeze, North Star Blue Ox, Arizona Hawks, and I believe even a few invitees from the East Coast, from New York, have decided to pop in for the tournament. I mean, this puts the all in all comers. There are a lot of different teams represented here. Uh, which is actually really good to see. Uh, and and if you look up and down the list, Peter, there's actually some really good names. And also there's a lot of national team talent here as well. Uh, the Portland Sockeyes, uh, of course, you've got Jess Blecker and Heather Serpico. Blecker, who's going to uh, Melbourne with the Freedom, and Serpico, who is a former Liberty player. The key name on here is Simone Shepard. Uh, Simone is arguably the best player in the league. Probably, if, if not the best, then she's definitely in the top two or three. She's a ruck. She can play just about anywhere, and she's very strong. She's a good tackler. It's that football pedigree. And uh, Portland is actually bringing a number of other players as well. Tara uh, Krugel, who is uh, Shepard's teammate in the Portland Shockwave uh, gridiron team uh, is, a, is a pretty heavy hitter herself in terms of uh, pressure and, and tackling. Uh, so that contingent will offer a lot. For the new Los Angeles team who have played very well in the early season, uh, they played the Arizona girls tough 
a couple of weeks ago at home. They went down by a couple of points. But Laren Sullivan, who, again, is another tough defensive player, Eileen Yoon and Leilani Silvio, who are both playmakers. The interesting name on here on this list, Peter, is Katie Ann Shearer. And yes, she is the sister of Columbus Jewelers standout Katrina Shearer. Katie Ann is actually the goalkeeper for the U.S. women's uh, handball team. And she actually came out to Philadelphia last July when they were having the open uh, clinic. Uh, she actually had made the trip from uh, actually had flown up from Alabama where she was staying with the residency program with uh, the U.S handball team and and played pretty admirably for someone who really hadn't uh, picked up a footy before uh, so she played well so I think she'll be an important factor once she gets settled she's a raw talent uh, it'll be interesting to see how, how she uh, goes in a tournament situation. Uh, there's a number of players from the Arizona Hawks, that program, which has been sort of up and down is, is experiencing a resurgence. Uh, a number of players from the past with uh, uh, well, Kelly Bishop had uh, freedom experience at one point, and they have three players that are heading over. Uh, Jennifer Ferrucci and Andrea Placencio, who are going for the Liberty, and of course the omnipotent Melissa Armstrong, who uh, played for San Francisco last season, helped lead that team to the national championship in Division One, and drew praise from no less than Dermot Brereton, who said that she was the best player that he had seen, men or women, through the entire weekend. And of course, the three players from the New York Magpies, uh, we were talking a little bit before, it was like, well, New York sending three players, but ho home. It's only Drea Casillas, who's uh, one of the best defensive halfbacks in the league, 13-year USAFL player, uh, coming off a, a solid game uh, in uh, in Raleigh, and two of the players that got on the score sheet in Raleigh, and Clara Algazin and Lawrence Skinechny, who are going to the uh, who are going to Melbourne to play with the Liberty. Uh, so you look at the two full teams with Denver and San Francisco, but these two. Uh, teams with this All-Stars team with Sacramento and Seattle are going to make it to where you can't bank on any team to win to, to win out this weekend. And, of course, he said uh, Denver and San Francisco. Boy, these two are building up a rivalry. Of course, San Francisco finally, for the first time, getting the better of Denver. And it happened to came at the Nationals last year, which uh, led them to the Division One title. They actually played, if I'm correct, a few weeks ago in a um, tri-series uh, with Sacramento involved as well. And if I'm correct, San Francisco took that out. So Denver, on their home deck, will be looking to see if they can square the ledger with the Iron Maidens. Absolutely, and they're going to bring a fully loaded side. And you talk about the players, I mean, Hallie, Hallie Lee, Hallie Adrian, who uh, for the longest time was considered one of the best rucks in the league, and she still uh, she still has it, and, and she's going to be preparing, as we mentioned, some of these players getting their last major hit out before. Or heading over to uh, to Melbourne, uh, she is one of them. Lindsay Castanek in the forward line, veteran Anna Thexton, who was an Im original member of the Freedom back in 2008, she'll be there as well. Um, look at some of the younger players, some of the newer players that they have. Uh, Monique Fair, who really impressed us at Nationals. This is her, I believe, this is her second full season uh, as well on the defensive side. Players like Janelle Myers, Ty Streff. Uh, so they've got a full, consistent side. They'll be at home where they're nay on, unbeatable. I don't think they've lost at home, come to think of it. Uh, so Denver will be will be bringing it. 
considering that they'll want to keep their uh, they'll want to keep that streak on you know untethered at home now uh, looking at san francisco i believe they're bringing most of their uh stars and most of their regulars as well jessica estrada is their captain one of the the co-captain and she's the the linchpin of that team in the midfield and uh, players in the midfield players up in the forward line courtney sherman who's one of the better offensive players and she's not a flashy player, but if she gets the ball and she gets a little bit of space, more times than not, she's going to find her way onto the spreadsheet. Uh, the defense is going to be big. That was the difference between uh, victory and defeat, really. At Nationals, Carly Smolak, who uh, two years ago at Western Regional kicked four goals in the game against Sacramento to give them the victory uh, in, in and the regional championship a couple of years ago, uh, has really asserted herself as a very good defender. And that's the position that she'll most likely be playing in Melbourne under Lee Barnes. So, uh I mean, two very good football sides. I think that's going to be the most interesting match of the day, simply because, as you said, Peter, those two teams have played each other just uh, every year at Nationals going back to 2012, which was the the Maiden's first full season uh, at at Nationals as a full side. And it wasn't until this past October at Nationals when the, the Maidens finally made the breakthrough, not only on the win column, but on the score sheet. They had never Never kicked a goal against Denver in four games of competition at Nationals, and and, and fitting that it was uh, Millie Bruce who got the goal, uh, the one goal, one of the founders of the team uh, that ended up being wasn't the difference because it was a three-point contest, but really the catalyst that helped uh, get them over the line. And we should point out as well with this Western Regional Tournament that technically it's the All-Stars team that are the reigning champions going into this as the Portland-Minnesota combination won last year. Yeah, if you want to be technical about it. And uh, <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. And, and Kat Hogg, who uh, for many years was the, the, the coach of the Minnesota side, has moved on to Portland. Uh, so she'll be, I imagine she'll be behind the helm. And ironically enough, she'll have, uh, I believe it's going to be a total of three players from uh not only Minnesota, it'll be one player, Becky Kraft, uh, as well as Marie Le Victor, who's playing for North Star, as well as Olivia Vonghoroff. Uh, so, but yes, uh, they're in, in under Cat Hogg last year, that side. Uh, the one thing that Cat did really well was figure out uh, how to take two teams which had never played together and make them function as a successful unit. So if anybody's capable of, and and, and again, I don't know how, in, in what role she'll be, whether she'll be the head coach or whether she'll just be uh, an assistant, but if anybody's capable of taking all these different pieces and putting them together into a solidified and functioning football club it is cat hog so uh, that's i think the most exciting thing about this tournament i think is that there is really no clear favorite even though you have the six-time national champion denver lady bulldogs and the defending national champion san francisco iron maidens those combined sides are going to make for some exciting footy and i just do want to slip in about last year's regional as well they had possibly the most awesome nickname going around when the sock eyes and freeze combined to call themselves the frozen fish <laughs> yeah i don't know what they're going to call well you've got the 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 suns and grizzlies 
Absolutely. So I guess you've got the hot bears uh, <laughs> as opposed to the drop bears, I guess. And then um, you've got uh, so you've got the frozen magpie hawk dragon. I just I, I think All Stars is pretty good. I think once you get up past three or four teams all together, I think uh, last year at the Eastern Regional they had the Angela Angela eagle demons uh with four or five teams in there together so i think just calling them the all-stars is probably really good plus i think it just sort of typifies some of the some of the better players on the team uh plus it has the lawrence skinechny uh, emoji seal of approval on facebook so <laughs> and of course this game of course being played uh as we say in the rocky mountains up in colorado uh, in westminster and i believe as well you're filming the games for the usafl youtube page yeah, so uh, we're going to have, uh, is, as mathematics works out with one camera, you have to film. In order to get everyone on at least once, you have to pick one team and, and film all of their games. So it'll be all three of the Denver Lady Bulldogs teams since they are uh, games since they are the home team. Uh, so... Yeah, so we'll have a film of those games. Um, I imagine I will be behind the mic for all three of them. It depends on how the schedule uh, shakes out. But uh, that's one of the innovations, I think, and one of the, the great things about this tournament is even though we, we weren't able to get um, streaming coverage like we did at Central Regionals last year, we're able to uh, at least film uh, these matches not only for, our, for the players' benefit, for the uh, umpires' benefit because they're, you know, they get the tr- – see this and train as well and for the coaches but also uh it really i think gives a a pretty accurate depiction of our product in terms of of what u.s uh aussie rules is like as opposed to showing somebody uh aflw which I think would be fairly close to what we have in terms of, of just the skill, not necessarily the level of skills, but in terms of the flow of play. Uh, but at the same time, it's 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 good to just the, the players love seeing themselves on on YouTube. I think that's what it comes down to, and they get they like showing uh, their friends and their family what's there. So yeah, we'll have uh, all three of those games for uh, for USAFL.com. Pretty excited about it. Well, Brian, thank you very much for joining us here on Girls Play Footy, and we look forward to catching up with you next, possibly in a month's time, when you're here in Melbourne for the AFL International Cup 2017. Oh, that'll be great. I'm so excited for the International Cup. I just wish they'd have the schedule out. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> thanks, Peter. I appreciate it. Time to take a look around the various state leagues. Unfortunately, Aaron Russell, we weren't able to get a hold of this week, but I can give you the results in the Bond University QWAFL Round 12. Only the two games played both on Saturday. Coolangatta tweet 10-9-69, defeating Maroochydore two behind. And in a bit of an upset, uh, Wilson Grange 6-10-46, defeating Yeronga South Brisbane 4-5-29. The fixture for Round 13, all games on Saturday, 2.45 p.m., Zumbia Eagles are hosting Wilston Grange. 4.45 p.m., Cooperoo hosting Coolangatta Tweed. And at 4.45 p.m., Yeronga South Brisbane hosting Maroochydore with University of Queensland Red Lions having the bye. Let's have a quick look at the AFL Canberra competition. Uh, round 12 played over the weekend with the Eastlake Demons, uh, 7-9-51, defeated the Quimbian Tigers, 1-3-9. Uh, Tugwinong Hawks, one goal, lost to Ainsley Tricolors, 13-16 
1994. ADFA Rams didn't get on the scoreboard in their loss against Kangalan Jets, 12-11-83. Kudamandra Blues, one goal, went down to Malongolo Joggernauts, 12-11-83. And the Balkana Magpies, 13-5-93, defeated the Riverine Alliance, one behind the ANU. Griffins had the bye. Looking ahead to round 13 action, uh, this Saturday, 10 a.m., Quimbian Tigers hosting Ainsley Tricolors. 10 a.m. Saturday, Riverine Alliance hosting ANU Griffins. 12 p.m. Saturday, Kudamandra Blues hosting Eastlake Demons. And 4.30 p.m. on Saturday at Grenway Oval, Togwenong Hawks hosting the Gungahlin Jets. Malongolo Juggernauts having the bye. Let's find out what's been happening in the AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division. And I've got on the line Lauren Hodgson. Lauren, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, thanks, Peter. How are you? Not too bad at all. Round 11's just uh, passed down the AFL Sydney uh, competition. And uh, having a look, the Stingrays' big winners over the Wolves. Yeah, the Stingrays had their biggest win of the year, beating the, beating the Wolves by 146 points. Uh, the final score was 24 goals, 9, 153 to 117. Uh, Pride kicked six goals for Stingrays, whilst Corkiona and Callahan uh, kicked four each themselves. Uh, the Stingrays actually had ten individual goal scorers, so almost half their almost half their side actually kicked goals on a day. Uh, Melissa Vuong kicked the Wolves' only goal for the day, so uh, slim pickings there for the Wolves, and uh, the Stingrays showing why, uh, along with Bombers, they're favourites to take out the flag this year. At Gawley Oval, the Giants' five-goal winners over the Southern Power. Yeah, the Giants made the trip across to Gawley Oval and took the points against the Power. Uh, look, I thought it was going to be a very close game, and, and it was a tight contest right throughout the game, really until the last quarter where the Giants kicked three goals, the Power was one, and just stretched out that lead. Uh, Melissa Bryden was strong again up forward for the Giants, kicking three goals, whilst Jenna Miller was named as Power's best on ground. The Shamrocks getting over Macquarie University in a thriller. Yeah, really tight game there. Uh, Shamrocks 32 to Macquarie 25. Uh, it's the closest game of the weekend. Um, as we saw, they're only a seven-point uh, margin. Across both sides, all goals are actually kicked by individuals. So there was never really more than seven points in the game. Uh, White was named best on ground for the Shamrocks and Keeley for the Warriors. So a fantastic game uh, there between those two sides on the weekend, Peter. And the Sydney Uni Bombers getting the win over the Newtown Breakaways. Yeah, the Bombers continued their unbeaten run with a 58-point win over seventh-place Newtown, with the final score being 70-12. to uh, Walker, Barr and Stack were amongst the goal kids for the Bombers, while Thrush and Holdsworth kicks Newtown's goals. And uh, as I said, bit of a margin there, but not unexpected uh, given the Bombers' performances so far this year, Peter. Let's look ahead to next week and uh, it starts on Saturday morning, 9 o'clock at Uni Oval with Macquarie University hosting Auburn Penrith Giants. Yeah, look, I think that'll be a really close game. Uh, we're seeing third place, fourth there. Uh, obviously, the Giants had a win on the weekend over the power and uh, the Warriors will be get, looking to get back on the winner's list after their close game, the Shamrocks. Uh, tipping the Warriors to have a win there. At Pickett Oval at 2 o'clock on Saturday, the Western Wolves hosting the UTS Shamrocks. Yeah, look, I think that's going to be another close game. Uh, and I'm tipping the Shamrocks to take the win there. And, uh, and uh, unfortunately, a bit more uh, pain inflicted for the Wolves who uh, haven't had the best of seasons to date. 
2pm Saturday at Sydney Uni, Oval number one. Uh, the Southern Power take on the Sydney Uni Bombers. Yeah, look, it's going to be a really tough match for the Power. It was a big margin last time they played Sydney Uni, which is not that long ago. And I think Sydney Uni will look to uh, get another win on the board and uh, further boost their percentage with a big win. And the sole game on the Sunday, 10.30am at Henson Park, uh, the UNSW Eastern Suburb Stingrays host the Newtown Breakaways. Yeah, look, similar to the Power Bombers game, I think the Stingrays are really going to look to flex their muscle here and uh, get a get a big win and, um, and uh, yeah, continue their good form for the year. Well, Lauren, thank you very much for joining us here on Girls Play Footy and we look forward to catching up with you next week to talk more AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division. Always happy to discuss women's footy, Peter. Okay, let's have a look at what happened over the weekend in the WAWFL Round 12 and East Perth, one behind, went down to a fairly accurate Swan Districts, 15 straight 90. The Pill Thunderbirds, 6-12-48, lost to West Perth in a close one, 8-6-54. South Fremantle, 10-12-72, defeated the Perth Angels, 2-11-23. And the Coastal Titans, 6-12-48, hung on against the Claremont Tigers, 6-6-42. Looking ahead to Round 13 action, this week. Only the one game on the Saturday, 5pm at Wanneroo Showgrounds. West Perth hosting East Fremantle on the Sunday. East Perth hosts the Coastal Titans. Perth Angels host Swan Districts. South Fremantle hosts Claremont with the Peel Thunderbirds having the bye. Time to have a look back at the Swiss Wellness VFL Women's Competition. Round 7 action was played over the weekend and joining us on the line is our lead caller here at RSN Carnival and Matthew Cox. Coxie, how are you? I'm very good, Peter. Very interesting round seven of VFL Women's uh, on the weekend. Looking forward to dissecting what it all means and previewing what's setting or shaping up to be another big weekend in footy. Massive weekend coming up. But from last weekend, some few curious things happened. The first game was at Box Hill City Oval on Saturday morning. It was very tight at quarter time. And then after that, Box Hill just could not get out of neutral and Diamond Creek rolled over the top for another six-goal win. Yeah, it was a, an interesting game looking at the, the scorecard. As you mentioned, close at half time, it was only one point uh, in favour of the Creekers. And uh, although Box Hill didn't get a goal for the remainder of the game, they ended up with four additional points. But they kept Diamond Creek to a relatively low score up until three quarter time, which I think is an impressive effort from uh, from the Hawks keeping the top side of the competition to uh, a smaller margin than what many people probably were predicting. I, I think uh, looking at this match, it should have been somewhere in the, the vicinity of maybe 70, 80 odd points going on the form that the Creekers have had, but for Box Hill to, to restrict them to uh, just a 48 to 10 uh, scoreline uh, is a pretty good effort for, uh, for Box Hill and I think ticks another one of those boxes which uh, is their little objectives uh, going into the back half of the season so positive for them but for Diamond Creek it's been an interesting month uh, for them obviously the loss against the Sharks to, to kick it all off and then an interesting couple of games uh, just haven't looked settled um, and I, I think uh, this weekend, we'll, we'll preview it in a moment, but I think it will be just a nice little one to, to shape them back into action. Good to see that Tanya Heather, Hetherington was named as one of the best players for uh, Diamond Creek on the weekend after returning this season from uh, an injury last year. 
The Salt Saturday afternoon game, which we did, the VU Western Spurs 14 12 96, defeating Cranbourne 2 5 17. The Spurs out of the block with a big first quarter, and just Cranbourne had no answers. Potential statement here from the Spurs, do you think, Pete? The fact that, uh, again, probably should have been a, a closer game, Cranbourne probably had an opportunity to, to push them a little bit more, but the Spurs have come out and said, uh, we're, we're up the top end of the ladder and uh, we're not we're not uh, playing around. We're, we're here for, uh, for serious business and uh, I think it is a genuine statement coming from the Spurs. It's good to see that uh, Kemp got four goals, Jolly with two, Gunn with two, so plenty of contributors across the Board. Lampard named one of their best and again on the Cranbourne side of thing I think the only silver lining that you can take out is that uh, Brian Moody continues a very impressive performances this season for the Eagles. As we joked uh, Cranbourne needed maybe three or four Brian Moody's they're just not enough of her she can play any role but they need a few of her to help out but particularly when you're missing the likes of Grierson, Jacobson, uh, Hardiman as well um, that's some star quality uh, power there in the Cranbourne side and you take them out and that's it they're, they were always uh, going to struggle. Interesting to note that in that first quarter Cranbourne won every centre clearance but couldn't impact the scoreboard. Yeah, when you look at the other side of it, um, the Spurs had 11 scoring shots and ended up with 6-5-41 in that first term. So it's quite incredible that they didn't get a, a clearance at all, but yet did all the damage basically in that first term. I think they only got uh, two or three goals for, for the remainder of the game in the other three quarters. So all the damage done in that first term for the Spurs, and it gives them a nice little... A confidence booster and also percentage booster, which is going to be pivotal come the back half of the year. On Sunday, there were three games. The early game at 1 o'clock was Geelong and St Kilda. It was a low-scoring scrap. In fact, when it got to the final quarter, scores were leveled twice before the Sharks pulled away to win by eight points. Yeah, notice that uh, Gardner kicked uh, the last goal, I think, inside the the final two minutes of the match to get the Sharks over the line. A, a close game and really good for, for the Cats after starting the season with a blitz, um, winning their first three matches quite convincingly and then going through a little bit of a lull uh, with, with the heavy loss to, to Diamond Creek and well, the Spurs game, I think they, they were in it but not quite there but it looks as though against the Muggers and now the Sharks They've put up a, a genuine fight, which is fantastic for them in terms of their development. I know we spoke last week that they're rotating players through that side quite frequently. So it's fantastic that they're able to put in a very competitive performance against a side that's renowned for its finishes in 2017, the Sharks. They've been uh, quite in impressive in terms of running out games. It looks like that may have just got them over the line on the weekend, but I would have thought, if the, if the Sharks were a, a, a real genuine contender, they would have done a similar job to what the Spurs did Eagles on the weekend and get a nice, uh, comfortable victory. But this one really tested them. Um, so wondering if it's just a blip on the radar or, or maybe, maybe as we, we head into the, the real deep winter months, the, the fast-running Sharks might just be hitting the pause button until we get some firmer ground later in the year. And uh, I demanded inquiry to find out what happened in the first term. The first goal went to full back Penny Killer Reed. <laughs> not a not not a name that we 
used to seeing on the score sheet there. Um, yeah, I wonder what she was doing. Maybe they had a good gale down at Deakin <laughs> University on the, on Sunday. you got to feel sorry for the Tiger Reds. They always knew they are going to be up for, up for a tough challenge at Tin Alley, and uh, they can only put 117 on the board while Melbourne Uni piled on uh, an indirect 11-17-83. And understand that Gillespie Jones and Hosking were withdrawals from the match too for the Tigerettes, which made their task a little bit harder, especially coming up against the Mugger side. We know that they have a lot of room to improvement, even though they're currently sitting second of the ladder. And it's been an interesting month for them. I think they've just been scraping over the line. In fact, you can even roll it back a majority of this season. They had not convincing performance to date. Now, even though they had a nice win on the weekend, 11-17-83 to 1-1-7, it just, I don't know, I don't think the opposition was there to, to put up much of a fight, so I don't know how much you can read into that scoreline. I suppose it does help in terms of their percentage uh, up the top of the table, although they should be safe coming into the back half of the year. But I just... I just wonder if it's a, a bit false looking at the, the scorecard, whether it is that big of a statement made by the Muggers or it had more to do with the opposition that they faced on the weekend at Tin Alley. Well, what a game out at Mulgrave Reserve. Darabin 13-5-83 to the Eastern Devils 3-4-22. Darabin got out of the blocks quickly, then stalled. The Eastern Devils came back into the game. At halftime, we thought game on. And then the Devils just simply didn't come out of the sheds for the second half and Darabin had their merry way. Darcy Vessio, seven goals. Yeah, uh, well, I'll address that first. That that is quite significant. Who was playing on Vessio? Uh, Jess Sibley was uh, marking her. And and strangely, they didn't go with a two-on-one. They just stuck one-on-one with her. Every time the ball was delivered to Vessio, all bar once, she dropped the mark. She did a punch from behind from Sibley. But unfortunately for Sibley, every time the ball hit the ground, one bounce, one-handed Vessio, two steps goal. Yeah, she she is a freak of a footballer, and especially when she starts to get on top, you wonder why they don't put an extra number back just to be able to impact the contest. But um, yeah, she's a, a freak to watch. If uh, anyone out there is able to get an opportunity to watch her play footy at local level, I think she she's added another dynamic to her game since returning to Carlton from Carlton this year. Um, she's a, a fantastic athlete to watch, not just a footballer, but athlete. Some of the things she does is quite special. But uh, going back to, to the Devils, I think from memory in, in last year, a similar sort of thing happened where Darabin started out of the blocks, got away to an off little lobby back, but then after half-time, they, they really struggled to get into the game, and it looks like that's happened again. And I suppose the concern for the Devils is that they had quite a number of their stars back in the side when you look at names like Perkins, Lamb, uh, sorry, Lamb, uh, Tesserero was back in the side as as well. So some of the, some of their pivotal stars returning to the Devils lineup, and and when you look at the the scorecard, the fact that they weren't able to add to their score after half time is a is a big concern for them. On the other side of the coin, how dangerous is this? Looking at the best players on the website, you've got Vessio, Hickey, Pierce, O'Connor, and Marinoff. Tell you what, it's nice to see those names back uh, back on the score sheet because it, it gives you an indication that Darabin 
are coming, and that's a scary prospect heading into the back part of the season. Just when we thought the top of the ladder might be settled, the Falcons are here to shake some things up. Well, let's have a look at round eight footy, and Cranbourne must be thinking to themselves, what have they done wrong to deserve this? They've got to wake up early on a Saturday morning, albeit at home at Casey Fields, at 11 o'clock to host the Darabin Falcons. <laughs> uh, would you get out of bed, especially if it's going to be a, an ordinary day at Casey Mills? Um, I don't know where the road would be, but yeah, another opportunity for. Uh, well, I mean, we've, we've, well, I've mentioned percentage a, a little bit. It's going to be crucial um, this year because we've got that log jam around the middle of the, the ladder to decide the, the fourth spot. So, an opportunity for the Falcons to really. Uh, boost their percentage for Cranbourne. You just hope that they uh, give a little bit more fight than what they gave on the weekend. Seaford and Geelong meet at RF Miles Reserve Saturday afternoon, 2 o'clock. Yeah, um, expecting Geelong to, to get uh, a win on the board the, the first time that they've been able to do that uh, in a good month. So it'd be nice just to get a little bit of a, a confidence boost back and, and an, another W for them for the Tiger Reds. Again, like Cranbourne, you just hope that uh, they can just put something on the park and, and just give it a little bit res- of respect. It's going to be a tough couple of weeks, well, a tough end of the year, I think, for them. Um, as, as they continue to develop. So you just hope, in a similar sort of way to Box Hill, that they can just start achieving the little goals and, and finding some form to, to the back half of the year. Buckle up and hold tight our RSN Carnival match of the day on Saturday on air 1pm for a 2pm bounce. Plenty War Memorial Park in plenty. First hosts second, Diamond Creek and Melbourne Uni. Yeah, if you've got nothing to do on Saturday afternoon, make your way to Plenty War Memorial Park because this is going to be one of the games of the season. We know Melbourne Uni are are a consistent side and as I said, I I, I believe that they've got another year to go. Are they going to exercise that this weekend? Who knows? But uh, looking forward to seeing Diamond Creek for the first time in 2017 this weekend. I, I think they're a vastly different side the last time we saw them in 2016. So uh, predicting this one to be close, predicting it to be tight, predicting it maybe even to be a little bit narky, but uh, I think the Creekers on the home deck will be able to get uh, over the line. It's a fortress there at Plenty War Memorial Park. I don't want Melbourne Uni walking away with the points. Sunday, 2pm at the Peanut Farm Reserve, St Kilda host Box Hill. Yeah, expecting St Kilda get, to get the job done quite easily. But having said that, Box Hill have been not uh, not outstanding performances, but they've been holding teams to account, I think would be a good way of describing the way they're playing footy at the moment. So um, hopefully they can do something similar, although it is at the Peanut Farm Reserve and we all know that the Sharks do play that venue very, very well. So Sharks to get over the line and, and for them, uh, again, uh, it'd be all about trying to get as much percentage as they can. 2 p.m. Sunday bounce down. We're on here at 1 p.m. on RSN Carnival. Third versus sixth, the VU Western Spurs versus the Eastern Devils. Cue the Kenny Loggins music. This is the danger zone for the Eastern Devils. Drop this one and they pretty much, you could write a finals for them. 
Well, it's the last roll of the, of the dice, isn't it? After uh, a poor start to the season, they find themselves in a, in a real awkward position against a, a side in the VU Western Spurs that at the moment they're just building momentum and building confidence, which I think they can, on their day, ruffle any side in the competition. Um, so I'm, I'm going with the Spurs in this one. I, I think they will put an end to the Devils' season, unfortunately. I think um, for, for some reason the Devils haven't quite got it right in 2017 and uh, I think it might be worth just regrouping uh, and pre- beginning to uh, prepare for 2018 the way they're going because I think uh, they've got a, a tough month ahead and uh, I just don't see them getting over the line at Witten Oval this weekend. And the reason why we talk about that, to put a few things in perspective, first of all, for the Spurs, should the Spurs win, we reckon it will probably be them and possibly St Kilda be the two duking it out to try and hold that spot in the four. That would be a critical win for the Spurs. If the Spurs lose, uh, they would still remain ahead of the Devils, but that puts them in a tricky position, probably one game outside the four and having to chase the tails of St Kilda and Darabin, Melbourne Uni, Diamond Creek. For the Eastern Devils, if they lose... They're then coming up against Diamond Creek, Melbourne Uni and the St Kilda Sharks where essentially you've got to win all three of those because they're all eight-point games. You lose against them, not only does it send you another game back, it sends them another game further up away from you. And focusing back on this weekend too, if the Devils do get defeated by the Spurs and and the results go the way we think they will for the Falcons and the Sharks, that means the Devils will then be three games behind the pack chasing the the top four. So um, that's why it is the last roll of the dice. And look, I I think on their day, I I think the Devils are able to... To, to pull something out of their hat. I think we've seen at various stages this year passages of play where they've shown that they can be a good football side. It's just maintaining that consistency for even a quarter of football that they've struggled to do this season, which I don't quite understand why. I know they're missing some pivotal players or have been missing some pivotal players in that side, but it just doesn't make sense that they haven't been able to string a a decent quarter of football or a couple of quarters of football together. And for a side that was knocking on the door of finals last year and you thought their trajectory was was on the way up, it's um, it's a, a little bit puzzling and... It's it's funny in a way, though, how a few minutes can change a team's season. You look back at that round one game when they had the breeze at home against the Sharks and a a couple of quick goals to the Sharks got St Kilda in front and got them to pinch the points. And then a week later, Bill Laurier Oval in Northcote, they were holding the lead in the final quarter against Darabin and then got ran over in the last 10 minutes of the game. You flip those two, all of a sudden we're talking about a side that's third and that's, you know, in the hunt. Um, but because that last few minutes of those games went the other way, this season is now in peril. I suppose that comes back to the experience of those opponents when they, they've got a bit more of a... Not, well, well having, having said that, the Eastern Devils have got a fair few veterans in their side, but just the experience and composure of being able to... Um, maintain the pressure and I think the lapses from the Devils especially with some younger players coming into that side this year has cost them dearly and as as you say those two results go the other way and, and they're right in the thick of things as 
a number of their games this year have been quite close and they've had the opportunities to win. Even if you look on the weekend, if if they'd pulled the third quarter together and played in a similar fashion to the way they played the second quarter, who knows where they might have been heading into the final term. But it's just it's just that consistency that is lacking from, from the Devils this year. Well, Matthew, thank you very much for joining us here on Girls Play Footy. We look forward to your company this Saturday, 1 o'clock on air for Diamond Creek and Melbourne Uni, our RSN Carnival, match of the day on Saturday. And then, of course, we're broadcasting that game on Sunday at Witten Oval. Yeah, look, looking forward to returning to the commentary box. And, cheers, uh, I've picked a good game to come back, haven't I? Um, looking to it, top of the table clash. And a reminder, you're out in the uh, Plenty Valley Diamond Creek area. Get on down to Plenty War Memorial Park because this is going to be an exhibition of uh, female football. So get along to it, get, uh, get around it and uh, support women's footy. Round eight of the Tasmanian State Women's League was played over the weekend, both games on the Sunday, where Clarence 10 68 defeated the Tigers 2-4-16, while Launceston 9-5-59 were victors over Bernie 2-14. No women's footy this weekend in Tasmania. It all returns on Sunday, July 23rd, when Tigers host Launceston and Glenorchy host Clarence. Time to find out what's happening in the Adelaide Footy League Women's Division 1, and I've got on the line for the Two Crows podcast, Alison Schiller. Alison, how are you? Oh, absolutely wonderful, Peter. Yourself? Not too bad at all. Great to have you on the line, and unlike some of the previous rounds, there was no blowouts in round five. Some pretty competitive matches across the board. Absolutely. We had some great games going on um, over here and including probably the biggest game of the season so far. Um, and what I hopefully was predicted and came true, it was a nice tight game finally for Adelaide University. They took on Salisbury at Salisbury Oval on Saturday night. 11 points the difference in the end. Adelaide Uni 6-4-40 just getting over the line against Salisbury 4-5-29. Yeah, that was an absolute cracker of a game, and it was anybody there for a while. We're still repressing very hard in the final quarter. Um, Adelaide Uni only had one AFLW player in the side, being Anne Hatchard, and she had a ripper of a game. Uh, Adelaide Uni, whether they took Salisbury a little bit lightly in the first half, uh, or it was Salisbury's pressure, but they fumbled a bit and lost their structure, but they got back into it into the second. Um, for Adelaide Uni, good performances by Rachel Quigley, who debuted um, and as a soccer convert, and she just got back from Korea from playing under contract. So that Adelaide Uni had a lot of first-game players in there, and they performed as well. There was an outstanding performance by Ebony O'Day with her attempted tackle on the year of Chelsea Randall, and um, that was a bone rattler for sure. You could just hear that around the ground. But true to form, Chelsea Randall shook it off and um, got back up and kept going. Christy Harvey and Ruthie Wallace helped turn the game around and stood up very well in the second half, uh, with Ruthie moving up the ground a little bit as well instead of being um, that full forward. Bolshop was put back into luck and that got her back into the game. There was ex-state basketballer Stano Vesovic, um, superb, uh, in uh, only her third game. And just to keep on with the new player theme, there was a debut game for Rihanna Peake. Uh, and she's a state cricketer, state soccer player, and now playing footy. And she went for Mark of the Year in the final quarter, which she might have required oxygen for by the time she got back down to ground. And she held on to that grab in an absolutely fantastic display there for Adelaide Uni. On the other side of the coin, Salisbury had three AFL players, with uh, Randall Allen and Jess Sedgenary uh, in the lineup. Nicole Mark was instrumental in the back line, 
and her strong contested marking throughout the game was absolutely outstanding. Jess Edge was a machine through the midfield. Um, if she wasn't getting it, she was feeding it to another person. And trust me, you can see by the score, it was a tight, tough contest and nothing was that easy in that game. Ashley Woodland was dominant enough again forward for Salisbury and took a huge slam before half-time. And that was right in front of where we were. And she was sucking in the big ones trying to get up off the ground there. But she had great strength. She got up and she continued to perform well during the game. Paige Allen gets a mention for her tireless run and ball carry on the wing. And she did a fantastic job. Salisbury players did get sucked off the ground a bit in the final quarter, which I personally think might have just impacted them when they got the ball out. But they couldn't get it down into their forward 50 and convert quickly. Because Adelaide Uni, you give them a sniff and they just set up beautifully behind the ball. <coughs> Pardon me. Um, at the end of the game, though, there was a, a great display of sportsmanship and teammanship between the two, between Salisbury and Adelaide Uni, where the crow girls from Salisbury invited the Adelaide Uni girls into a huddle. So they went player for player into the centre and I managed to creep up close enough there and I didn't hear exactly what they were saying, but they were doing at the end of it. They went three cheers Salisbury. Three cheers for Adelaide Uni. And then Salisbury also invited the Uni girls into the club rooms later on to present their own awards. Um, and I put a photo of that up on At Two Crows podcast. So what was a tight, tussling affair? Adelaide Uni uh, taking the points uh, 29 to 40, up by 11. Let's go across the Sunday games at Aldi Arena. It was Morpherville Park, 11-11-77, defeating Modbury, 6-6-42. Yeah, this looks like being a, a bit of an upset. The Modbury Hawks come out of the blocks, kicking the first three goals. And at the end of the first quarter, Morpheus had only kicked a point when Modbury was sitting on 20. Uh, and it was a very scrappy affair and a very cold uh, day down here in Adelaide. But the Morphy Roos put on the Jets in the second quarter, kicking 4-6. So inaccuracy hurting a bit there. <coughs> I mean, things were a bit tighter in the third. Uh, where they only kicked a goal apiece and a couple points. Well, actually, Modbury probably didn't do themselves any favours. They pulled on one goal four, and Roos pulled on one goal five. So they sort of pulled it back a bit there, but didn't quite take their opportunities. But the final quarter, the Roos put the hammer down and kicked another six goals three. And there was a, a young player there by the name of Maddie Green, who was just fresh from getting in the best players from the twos before that game. And she got her second opportunity in the ones, and she kicked an absolutely cracking goal in the final term. Uh, the ball spilled out of a big pack of players, about 30, 40 out, shot the ball, took a couple of steps and went bang, with even the opposition supporters going, boy, oh, boy, wowee, if I can pinch a chair from another commentator. So a big day out there for Maddie Green, so good on her. And the Morphy Roos took out the game 77-42. to 42. The best players there for Morphy Roos being Moritz, Van Hagen, Goding, Bevan and Buchanan. So Van Hagen and Bevan being the only two AFL-listed players uh, for the Roos. Best for Modbury, uh, Collins, Pearson, Meachin, Abby Shear and Monique Hollick in there. Let's have a look at the other game, which was at Alberton Oval, Port Adelaide 3-2-20, going down to West Adelaide 9-10-64. Yeah, this, this game started off quite well. The Port Adelaide loved to get into a scrap. And that's exactly what they did with the Westies in the first quarter, is they just, they were at them. Um, so the scoreboard there was one straight to Port Adelaide with uh, Beck Wanganeen getting that one on the board, the beautiful kick. 
Ricky's piled on 2-5, and a lot of those points, either the win took or it was just pure pressure by the, by the Magpies players. For the Magpies, um, Hakan Gleeson did a good job on Westie's Cat Williams. And young Dino Ash Gould was as solid as ever on the dangerous Chelsea Bedell. He's been kicking bags of six in the last couple of games and held her to about three, I think. Von Birdo did well in ruck and she also went up forward as a solid marking target. As did well, she took an absolutely great grab uh, during the game. This was definitely not a bruise-free game and West Adelaide earned every single ball they got with the Magpies laying several bone-crunching tackles, including one by Jess Evans, who did a solid front-on tackle that could be heard around the ground. Uh, Port Adelaide Magpies, unfortunately, have also lost Jenna McCormick for the rest of the local season, not for injury, though, as she has a soccer contract over in Norway. But they will be getting a look in at the young pros rookie, Bakara Palmer, and hopefully she can give the Magpies some well-needed height down there as well. And hopefully young Sarah Perkins can come across and um, get a few games in there for Port Adelaide. On the Westie side of the bench there, Westie is a coach by Pro's woman's assistant coach, Brooke Copeland, and Carly Raiden was the only AFL player listed for either team and was named in the best for Westies. Players that got my attention there were these uh, two young girls, the Martin girls, Rachel and Hannah, who were absolutely in everything and taking on players twice their size without a backward glance. With Hannah, um, had a big burst of speed and a huge run through the middle of the ground to set up an important goal in the second quarter for West. Lauren Rodado was pinch-hitting and ruck and was strong in the air, with Alana Lowry leading ruck with a strong presence across the ground. Bellinger was strong on the ball, with Caitlin Williams taking an absolutely big grab, and she was an extremely tough competitor. Also, I noticed that three-quarter time in incognito mode was one bet Goddard, just observing Westies at their third-quarter time huddle. Um, hopefully, hopefully uh, Rachel Killian will play in a couple of weeks as well and line up for the Westies. If we haven't met Carp, we rested there. So the Westies, heading into the second quarter, they kicked four goals straight. And unfortunately, Port Adelaide, they didn't score after their first goal until the fourth quarter where they whacked on two goals too. And that was the same score that Westies actually got with two goals too as well. So Port Adelaide just went all free fall in the final quarter and um, at least held Westie steady. Uh, Westie's taking out that game 64-20. to 20. Let's have a look ahead to round six for this weekend. Two games on the Saturday, one on the Sunday. First Saturday, 5.30pm, Modbury hosting Adelaide Uni. Yes, um, pretty sure this will be a bit of a one-sided affair. So poor old Modbury, I think, um, if they can score, uh, and, and not being flippant here, but... Scoring against Adelaide Uni has been a big tough ask for a lot of teams, apart from Salisbury last week. Uh, so a tough one there for Mobley with Adelaide Uni taking the chocolates out for that game. 6.30pm on Saturday, uh, Salisbury hosting Port Adelaide. Yeah, Salisbury was three in a row down there at Salisbury Oval. This show should be a cracker of a test for Port Adelaide um, to see where they're at with the might of Salisbury. And I think Salisbury will get over the line here. Um, and probably do it quite well because they're really starting to dominate down there at their home ground. So I'm predicting them with with three AFL-listed players as well, with Port Adelaide not having any. I think that'll have a huge impact on them as well. And Sunday at 12 o'clock at Aldi Arena, West Adelaide hosting Morfordville Park. This one's probably the game of the round um, to see where both teams are settling because Westies have been a little bit up and down, like they started against the Port Adelaide game, but once they settled, they got their shape and form and their run back into it. Morphy Roos seem to have started a bit slowly a couple of times, 
And it'll be an interesting battle to see how many players, um, AFL players listed will play. And I'm predicting a tight one here where I think Westies might get over the line, but it wouldn't surprise me if the Roos provide a little bit of an upset. And Ali, just before we let you go, some uh, good news out of the Sandford Women's Competition, which of course ran throughout the uh, autumn months, uh, running in line with the AFLW. Uh, they're extending that competition next year to go for 10 weeks and they're going to have six teams. Yeah, and what a wonderful opportunity for the players to, to continue on playing and to get some other of the local SNFL teams involved. I think it's absolutely a cracker of an idea with all the new players coming through as well. South Adelaide has been one of the confirmed teams to join with the other traditional uh, clubs that haven't yet filled the women's side uh, invited to put in their submissions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it should be really interesting to see which way this all goes, but um, it can only be healthy for the competition. Well, Ali, thank you very much for joining us here on Girls Play Footy. We look forward to catching up with you next week to talk more Adelaide Footy League women's footy. Excellent. Thank you very much for having me, Peter. Well, that wraps up the show for another week. Just before I go, a quick reminder, you can find out all the latest women's footy news by going to our website, girlsplayfooty.com. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at girlsplayfooty and on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash girlsplayfooty. I'm Peter Holden. Thanks for your company. I'll catch you next week.